us turn in Scripture to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament prophets. With this sermon this evening, I hope to begin, I plan to begin a series of sermons through the book of Jonah, as I have been considering that in the past weeks and preparing for that. The thought occurred to me that a series of sermons through a book of the Bible is probably something that Dune has not had for a while, with being vacant and visiting ministers. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Also, from this point of view, that ordinarily with the mission work in the Philippines, I was preaching in different churches on every different Sunday of the month which certainly made it more challenging to do series over there too. So I look forward to doing that here in Dune. Let's read now Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were into the, in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, 
For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Read God's word thus far, and now let's direct our attention to verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. When it comes, beloved, to the book of Jonah, then we can perhaps all say, including the children here, that we are very familiar with the story itself. The story of Jonah, the story of a disobedient and rebellious prophet who tried to run away from God and to escape God's commission to him to preach the word of God to the Ninevites. But perhaps we're not as familiar with the significance of that as well as with the application of this word of God to us today. And so as we begin a series on this book, I trust that we can all be instructed through this and come to to a clearer understanding of those matters that are set before us here in the book of Jonah. good for us to know, beloved, from the outset what the theme of Jonah is, and thus its significance in the Scripture as part of the Word of God. And we could say that the theme of the book of Jonah is summarized in the words of Jonah himself, In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, when Jonah said, from the belly of the fish, salvation is of the Lord. That's the theme, really. A theme that expresses the sovereignty of God in salvation. A book that sets that before us, telling us that God is the source of salvation. Salvation is of him. Salvation is from him. And salvation is also his work. It is done by him. And that becomes very evident throughout the book of Jonah. It was God who decided 
from eternity whom he would save. And that saving work of God included, as that's set forth here in the book of Jonah, included the pagan sailors mentioned in chapter 1, included the salvation of Jonah himself, and included the Ninevites. God saves powerfully, and God uses all things as means to accomplish that. He was pleased to use Jonah, though he was a reluctant prophet and a reluctant spokesman, a reluctant preacher of the gospel. He also used the storm that he sent. He also used the fish that swallowed up Jonah. He also used the king in Nineveh. And he also used the gourd at the end of the book as part of his saving work in the life of Jonah himself. That, of course, is the theme of all of Scripture. But we are taught concerning that gospel truth, salvation is of the Lord, we are taught that here in the book of Jonah by means of Old Testament history. We are taught that truth by means of you could say, a biblical story. And thus we are taught through that concerning our own salvation. No less a wonder than the salvation of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And no less a wonder than the salvation of the pagan sailor and no less a wonder than the, pay, the salvation of the Ninevites. And as we consider this word of God in verses 1 and 2 for applicatory, then we will see, I trust, that this text has specific application to us today as regards to whom... God sends the gospel, to whom God sends the gospel. And it's in that connection that there is a warning given us in this text. This warning that God sometimes, for good reason, takes the gospel away from some and sends it instead others. A warning as we will see. Consider then Jonah, God sending him to Nineveh. And notice in our text tonight the occasion for this. Secondly, the command to Jonah. And thirdly, the purpose of Jehovah. There is not much, really, that is stated, that is revealed to us concerning Jonah himself in the opening verses of this book. 
simply that he was the son of Amittai, that he was given a commission to preach the word of God to the Ninevites, indicating that he was officially a prophet of God, and told what he must preach. Go and preach and cry against Nineveh. But nothing concerning the nation that Jonah lived in, that he belonged to, nothing concerning who the king was in that nation at the time that Jonah was prophet, and nothing concerning the state of that nation to which Jonah belonged, nor anything about the Ninevites. Why the Ninevites? Why must he preach to them? Who were they? Why does God commission him to bring the gospel to them? To them. There is another passage of the Old Testament scripture that sheds some light on some of that, and that's found in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 27, if you could turn to that with me and notice what is the setting there for the prophet Jonah, who is even mentioned in that passage. 2 Kings 14.23, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned forty and one years. This is Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the second in the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes in the north. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord said not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. But he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And so we learn that Jonah was the prophet that God had given and sent to the ten tribes of Israel in the north a prophet of God to the nation of Israel that had separated itself from the house of David under the leadership of Jeroboam I, separating itself from the line of Christ and separating itself from the true worship of God in the nation of Judah. A nation now, the tribes, the ten tribes of Israel, that had departed more and more from the ways of God. They had rejected the true worship of God. They had set up the golden calves 
as they were set up by Jeroboam the first in Dan and in Bethel. And every king in the nation of Israel was a wicked king. Every king followed in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And many kings were much worse than Jeroboam. Ahab, for example, who married wicked Jezebel and who introduced Baal worship into the nation of Israel. Pagan worship, worship of other gods. Jonah was the prophet when Jeroboam II was king the 14th king of the kingdom in the north. And what's interesting is that at the time that Jeroboam II was the king, the kingdom of Israel of the ten tribes was very prosperous. It was at its peak, you could say, the apex of wealth and success under Jeroboam II. And he had helped with that, as we read in 2 Kings 14. He delivered the Israelites from their enemies. But he was a wicked king. And Israel was a wicked nation. Involved in ungodly, false worship and idolatry. Jonah was sent by God to that kingdom. And he was sent by God to that kingdom for the sake of the people of God in the kingdom of Israel. There was an elect remnant. Jonah was sent for their good, for their benefit, to call them to repentance, to encourage them as the people of God in the midst of a wicked nation to comfort them with the gospel of Christ that he must preach to them. For their sakes, that elect remnant in the nation of Israel in the north, God said what he did in 2 Kings 14, I will not blot out the name of Israel. That is, he would not yet blot out their name. During those times, the Assyrians were the enemy of Israel, and Nineveh was their capital city. And as our text points out, Nineveh was a great city. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, Jonah was told. A great city as the capital of a great and a powerful nation. The world power of that day. A great city because it was a large city. We'll see when we get to chapter 3 that it was an exceedingly great city of three days' journey. It took three days' travel to get through 
the city of Nineveh. The largest city in the world at that time. And a great city because it was a very strongly fortified city with mighty defenses and walls that were thick and impenetrable. But also great because this was a city that was great in its wickedness. Nineveh was a city, interestingly, that was established many, many years earlier by Nimrod. Nimrod the mighty hunter. You can read of that in Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod who set up an anti-Christian kingdom. Nimrod who instigated the building of the Tower of Babel as a way to keep everyone together and to eliminate the people of God from this world. And he built the city of Nineveh. Genesis 10 states. And since that evil beginning under Nimrod, the city had developed in its wickedness and in its idolatry and was now at the height of its wickedness. And God was ready to destroy it, as Jonah would say, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Chapter 3, verse 4. That city was the enemy of Israel. That city was the capital of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would eventually take the ten tribes captive and would scatter them never to be a nation ever again. That's the city of Nineveh. What does God say to Jonah? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Though he was a prophet in Israel, and though he was God's prophet to the nation of Israel, and though he was the prophet of God for the sake of the elect remnant in the nation of Israel, God says, go preach to Nineveh. God said, bring my word to that wicked nation. Bring my word to that nation whose wickedness is come up before me. Bring my word to that nation which is the chief enemy of the people of God. God pulled Jonah away from the church and sent him with a message of God to ungodly heathens instead. Because God is God. God is sovereign. And God will decide where to send preachers and where to send 
the gospel to send it to whom he will. Then notice, secondly, beloved, from the text that when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God commanded, God commissioned him concerning what he must preach. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and then these words, and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. In general, of course, Jonah must preach the gospel to Nineveh. He must preach Christ to Nineveh. If he did not do that, there would never have been any repentance or any salvation in the city of Nineveh. God will display his sovereign power by saving Ninevites by means of the preaching, the faithful preaching of his word to the Ninevites. The gospel must be proclaimed in Nineveh. The gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Now, as we will learn in the book of Jonah, Jonah did not do that very well. Jonah was very reluctant and Jonah preached the word of God to the Ninevites very poorly. He preached without compassion for for those who were in sin and the darkness of unbelief. He was very cold toward them. They were the enemies of God that is, of God's people, is how he viewed them. But he did preach the gospel, for the Ninevites were saved. The preaching of that gospel is always the only hope for lost sinners, those in Israel itself, those in Nineveh, and those in the world today. But very specifically, he was told to preach against Nineveh. And that's a word of God to him that showed him, you don't preach for them, you preach against them. Your preaching must not be all positive, but also negative. Not all gentle preaching, but also the harsh preaching of the word of God's truth. A preaching that contains warnings and a preaching that contains threats. A preaching that contains the reality of the judgments of God that comes upon those who remain impenitent in the ways of sin. And that means that Jonah must preach against sin, not preach in support of sin, not preach in favor of sin by perhaps simply ignoring sin. But he must tell the Ninevites that their wickedness was so great 
that it had reached up to God in heaven. And he must tell them that as sinners, they had God to deal with on account of their wickedness. Not merely him as a man. But having preached sin, having preached against sin in the city of Nineveh, then he must also preach the call of the gospel to them. In the name of God, he must say to the Ninevites, repent of your sins and believe in God and believe in Christ. He must preach sin and repentance. You are great sinners. Your sins are great in the face of God. Confess your sins and turn from them. He must preach sin and faith. Believe. Believe in God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, for forgiveness and for salvation. He did it very poorly, Jonah did. But he must have done it. The Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah, as our Lord Jesus Christ himself even stated. And so the book of Jonah in its opening verses here gives us instruction concerning preaching. Concerning the preaching of the gospel in the church and concerning the preaching of the gospel to those who have never heard it before. Sin must be pointed out and condemned. And that because God is a holy God who hates sin. The way to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ includes, importantly, being confronted with the reality of sin. So still today, preachers must cry out against sin. Not ignore it. Not simply speak a word that says to the congregation or says to those who are hearing the preaching on the mission field, you're all wonderful people, but preaching set, as Jonah was commissioned to do. Without that, the gospel is empty. Without that, Christ means nothing. But when that is the background, and when that has been made clear, then we realize what a wonderful gospel we may speak, and what an amazing gospel of God's grace in Christ we may hear and be comforted by. The gospel of Christ our Savior in whom is everything that we need, who is our hope and all our comfort concerning sin and concerning the sufferings of life and concerning the sorrows of life.
a precious gospel, a gospel that God has made known to us here, for which we ought to be thankful and which we should treasure and value. But what was God's purpose? Why does God send Jonah to Nineveh? Why does he send him to an ungodly people? Why does he send him to those who were the enemies of the Old Testament people of God in the nation of Israel? And even the enemies of the nation of Judah? What was God's purpose? Well, God had a purpose with regard to Nineveh. And we'll see that more in chapter 3. But in general, we may note that God had this purpose with regard to Nineveh to save those in Nineveh who were the elect of God, chosen in Christ from all eternity. Subsequent history of the city of Nineveh, as that is spelled out also in the book of Nahum in the Old Testament, demonstrates to us that there was only one generation of them, just one generation, that's all, which was usually the case when God saved Gentiles in the Old Testament. But the elect must be saved, and to that end they must hear the gospel, and therefore Jonah must go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites. God sent him there so that the word of God would be brought to them, and God would use it. And God would cause the preaching of Jonah to be effective, though very poorly done on his part. Effective in the salvation of the elect in Nineveh. Effective in bringing them to repentance and to faith in Christ. That was God's purpose with the Ninevites. But more significantly, God had a purpose with regard to Israel. God sent Jonah, and God sent his word through Jonah to the Ninevites because the majority in the nation of Israel, and this was the great majority, the massive majority, the remnant was but a few, the majority in Israel had rejected the word of God. They had turned their backs on the prophets of God. They had slain the prophets of God. They had silenced the word of God in their midst. And that meant they had also turned their backs on the word of God that Jonah brought to the nation of Israel, the ten tribes in the north. 
They were too busy pursuing a life of pleasure and a life of ease. In the prosperous days of Jeroboam II, they were caught up in the things of this world. They had not valued the word of God that was brought to them. They had rejected that word of God and had fallen as a nation into the sin of unbelief and the practice of ungodliness in their lives. So what did God do? He took his word away from them and sent his word through Jonah instead to Gentiles, to those whom Israel would have considered the most unlikely of any people in the world to be those who should be brought the gospel and should be saved by God by means of the preaching of his word. He took his word away from Israel and sent it instead to Gentiles. When God did that, you must understand that God was doing it in mercy to Israel. That is, to some in Israel. Jonah did not realize it, but God was doing what the Word of God mentions in Romans 11, verse 11. Very similar matter is being described there. The Word of God taken from the Jews and brought to Gentiles. What does Romans 11, 11 say? It says this, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. That is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. That's what God was doing. That's what God was using Jonah for, as he sent him to the Ninevites instead and took his word away from Israel, using that commission, that activity of the prophet Jonah to provoke the remnant in Israel to jealousy, a means of chastisement of God upon them, a chastisement as a means to bring them to confess their sin of rejecting the Word of God and not giving due attention to the Word of God and not abiding by the commands of the Word of God to bring them to repentance. In the history of the reign of King Hezekiah, in the nation of Judah to the south of the nation of Israel is a history that brings out the fact that there was a remnant in the nation of Israel to the north. 
And there was a remnant that God saved, a remnant that God called out of the nation of Israel to the north, and did that especially at the time that King Hezekiah celebrated the Passover, a celebration of the Passover like never before and never afterward, the scripture tells us, and sent invitations to the nation of Israel to the north. And many came, and many not, came not only to celebrate the Passover in Judah with God's people there, but they stayed. And all of that just prior, just prior to the Assyrians capturing the ten tribes in the north, taking them into captivity, and scattering them so that they would never ever be a nation again. God used Jonah as a means to bring to repentance and to bring back to the church and back to the nation of Judah the remnant. And so all of this, beloved, is a warning to the church of Christ to us today. This text and this history reveals a truth concerning how God deals with the church. This, when those who confess to be the people of God reject him and his word, then he takes his word away from them. And he sends it instead to others. And he makes them hear it. And humble themselves before it. And saves them. And causes them by his grace to treasure the word that others no longer value. And to praise him for the word that others have rejected. I say that's a warning to us because that can happen to us. We're not immune to that. If we fail to treasure and value the word of God that God has given to us and that God does bring to us, God could very well take it away. Take it away from those who are complacent. Take it away from those who take his word for granted. Take it away from those who, as it were, turn their backs on his word and give it instead to others. Cause them to receive it and use it for their salvation and comfort instead. And those who had it can lose it. And they and their children will depart even more from the ways of God. They can be cut off 
in their generation. In this history, this was God's merciful warning to the remnant in Israel. And that is God's merciful warning to us. The word can be taken away from us who take it for granted or who are indifferent to it or who, like Israel at this time, this time of prosperity and wealth in the nation of Israel were so caught up in their wealth and the pleasures of this life that they had no time for the word of God. Through the recent history of our own churches, beloved, and the controversy that the Lord brought into our midst, God has, in, the, in recent years, we could say mercifully given us a wake-up call and revived in our midst the study of an interest in and understanding of his truth so that we value it more. We needed that. We needed that. And so may we not slip back again into indifference and a failure to treasure the gospel of Christ and become ignorant of it, not value what our fathers fought for to maintain and to defend and that they have handed down to us. God has been merciful. God has been pleased to give to us and to maintain in our midst his truth, the truth that honors God and the truth that is for the salvation of us and our children. We have much to be thankful for. And so may we continue to treasure it and continue to teach it to our children, and continue to teach them to love and treasure it also, that we may have, and continue to have, Christ, and the comfort of the gospel in him. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, Bless and apply to us by thy spirit, thy word. Give us good understanding. Give us the desire by thy grace and spirit to be hearers not only, but also doers of thy word. And to value the treasure of the gospel that thou hast given to us and committed to us and our children. Bless this word to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.